Good morning. Are we on? Good morning. Mic check one, two. What's crazy is that y'all can still hear me right. There it is. There it is. Hello, hello, hello. Shout out to Julia Palmer for stepping in at the very last minute this morning. Wasn't she wonderful? Delightful reader she was. That was great. Hello, Jacobs Wells. Wonderful to see you. My name is Jalen Baker. I have the, pre the pleasure of serving as the associate pastor of this church. And uh, I'm excited, very, very excited to get into week three. Uh, is it week three? Two, two, week two, my B, week two. Yeah, yeah, because Scott, when you did it, it wasn't technically, it wasn't technically, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that actually not on me, it's on Scott. So we're in week two, <laughs> week two of our Advent series. And we come this week to an extraordinarily important phrase in all of Scripture. For unto us a child is born. For unto us a child is born. Let's pray, and then we're going to dig, then we, then we dig in. Jesus, we thank you so much just for the gift of your life. God, we thank you so much just for decidedly saving us from ourselves through sending your son down to earth. We thank you, we thank you for sending him to do his ministry. We thank you for his death, and we thank you for his resurrection, God. God, this morning we pray that you reveal to us who you are and who you are calling us to be through your matchless word. In Jesus' name we do pray, amen. For unto us a child is born. The prophet Isaiah is projecting a vision and a prophecy that is envisioning a glorious future out of his current and tragic present, right? What do I mean by this? Isaiah's context and circumstance was that Israel was living in such a sinful and, and deceitful way that it, had, that it had caused distress and what he called darkness. And Isaiah centuries before the Savior was born, wanted to deliver some good news to Israel. He said that out of this darkness, a light would come. God gave Isaiah the prophetic eyes to see into a glorious future that it will not be like this always. Yes, you are currently in darkness. But while you're in darkness, I can see a glimmering light at the end of the tunnel. For unto us a child is born. And I love Isaiah because Isaiah is speaking in such a way to where he's speaking like this thing has already happened. Like Jesus has already came, right? And I love how the prophet does this. Because he's not, he's not speaking in past, he's speaking in present tense. He's saying that I know for certainty that God will deliver us from this darkness through a child. Isaiah is speaking of a coming peace, an eternal peace. And before we dive into this morning what this cosmic peace looks like, I actually want to stop and pause for a moment and really think through 
what does peace look like in our everyday lives? How can we attain peace, this peace that only Christ can give in our everyday lives? I want to I share with you this morning to, to, to speak on this, a quote by Tony Evans. So Tony Evans is a pastor out of Dallas, Texas. And he, as y'all know, our archbishop is already uh, Tim Keller. But I think that Tony Evans is going through the ordination process to be our next bishop. If I'm being, I quote Tony Evans all the time, right? And, and you know how I am. He's from Dallas. So I think anytime we can infuse some southern flavor, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. Look at what Tony Evans says here. Tony ever says that peace is not the absence of fear, it is the presence of God. Peace is not the absence of fear, it is the presence of God. I currently serve as a basketball coach at the Wilberforce School in Princeton, New Jersey. Shout out to Jeremiah Elijah Yang. I knew I was going to call y'all that at some point. They, they are on my team. And we got to win on Friday night. Shout out to y'all for that too. We got to win on Friday night. One of the things I always stress to my players because when my players, sometimes when they get the ball, they're frazzled. They pass too quick. They're dribbling, turning the ball over. And as you can imagine, I'm yelling at them, screaming at them, as you can imagine. And what I always tell them is to stop, reset, stop, look at the floor, see what's going on. And if, if there's nothing there, it's okay to reset the offense. Pass it back up top and let's get a good shot. So I was yelling at them at practice one day, and after practice, the Lord told me, hey, Jalen, you know, that's actually like a life lesson. Stop and reset. There are times in your life where you just need to stop, reset, and then go. I said, like, oh, that's interesting. That's cool. Nice. This is all I thought about. It. The following morning, I woke up to a barrage of emails and texts multiple demands on my time, on my energy that needed to get done soon. And immediately, I was like one of my players, frazzled, frantic, overwhelmed, just like, oh, my gosh, right? And God told me, remember, stop and reset. And, and, and what's interesting is that I read in the devotional a couple of days earlier, Psalm 138, verse 7, I believe, where David says, in the midst of my trouble, you will preserve my life. And that second phrase stood out to me. You will preserve my life. So when God told me to stop on Tuesday morning, that phrase kept coming up. God, you will preserve my life. You will preserve my life. I was breathing in, breathing out, and that word came over me, right? Because, see, what happens, church, to Tony Evans' point is that we allow our fear to set the tone for how we live in our daily lives. But Evans is saying that when, when our fear comes into direct confrontation with the power and presence of God, God will always win. God will never lose. But it is up to us to respond in faith. And what is faith? Priscilla Schreier, who's actually the daughter of Tony Evans, says this. She says that faith is trusting and believing that God is telling the truth. Faith is believing that God is telling the truth. So in that moment, right, when I'm stressed and, fear and fearful of what has to happen, God, you will preserve my life. I have to respond in faith saying, I actually believe you, God. 
you will preserve my life. You will give me the wisdom, the discernment, and the clarity I need to navigate what I'm about to go through. The presence of God will allow you to live in a peaceful way. Oh, in, 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 a way to, in a way where you're able to navigate the situations and circumstances of your life with God. Because with God's presence, there's peace, there's joy, there's poise, right? There's calmness, and there is no fear. Because I actually trust that God will allow me, that God will direct me through what I'm going through. Peace is not the absence of fear, but it is the presence of God. God's presence is what propels me forward. And we have to, at times in our lives, stop and reset. And here's the thing, church. I want you to hear this. When we talk about stopping and resetting, I'm not, it is not a demand to become a monk and go into the woods for a few days, a few hours, and just pray and fast. That sounds delightful if you got time to do that, you know what I'm saying? But no. On that Tuesday morning when God told me to stop and reset, it was a five-minute process. I was stressed. I was overwhelmed. And God was like, hey, stop. Reset. Breathe. Breathe. He dropped that word that he gave me on Monday morning, and I meditated on it for like five, for like five minutes. Just kept repeating it to myself. And that set the tone for the rest of my day and the rest of the week, Right? Do not underestimate what, what God can do with the little time you think you have. If it's just two minutes, give God that two minutes. If it's five minutes, give God that five minutes. God is saying, I just need you to invite me into your life. Invite me in. Right? And whatever pockets you have in your day, let me in. Stop. Reset. Because when you stop and reset, you are allowing my presence and my power to set the tone for your life. And that is what we need. That is what we desperately need. On the retreat last weekend with the boys, we did a meditation. Andrew, you told me you could give you a shout-out. I'm giving you the shout-out, bro. It's literally what he just told me. Not, not, not name call? Yeah. Hey, this is what you asked for, fam. This is what you asked for. We did a meditation. And, you know, these teenage boys, I did not know how this meditation was going to go. Like, are, are they going to be throwing stuff at each other during the meditation? I, don't, I, don't, I didn't know how it was going to go. But I told the boys, close your eyes, and we're going to do some breathing exercises. And I read a scripture. And at the end of the meditation, these teenage young boys had the most profound and just wisest thing to come out of it. They were like, you know, we hardly ever get a chance to stop, to pause, and just to be with the Lord. We got to do sports. We got to do school. We got to do all this stuff. And we hardly ever do this. And they all loved it, right? And it was like, okay, boys. Sometimes I got to stop being so surprised when they impress me. I got to stop acting so surprised. I was like, okay, nicely done, right? You got it. 
And, 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 and that just lets you know, no matter what season of life you find yourself in, stopping and resetting does not, the stopping and resetting is required for all of us. Married, single, parent, non-parent, whoever you may be or wherever you are, stop, reset, so that God can direct you and help you navigate your life and be the father, husband, student, child that he has called you to be. Stop. Reset. My players, y'all keep them in prayer. They're learning a little bit. They're learning. I'm going to keep yelling at them. But I want you to imagine God, not me yelling at you, but imagine God as a coach, if you will, saying to you, daughter, son, I think you should stop. You've been going, you've been going, you've been going. I think you need me now. Pause. Reset your perspective. Reset your mindset. And focus on me. And I want you to turn that focus and shift it to your life. Peace. This is the peace that that child that Isaiah is talking about will bring. That peace that that child will bring is the presence of God. The gift that Jesus gives to you and I this morning is access, full access to God's presence by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? All right, let's dive into the text this morning. So Isaiah 9 picks up at a place where Isaiah is sick and tired of being sick and tired of the monarchs and kings of Israel. Israel had had a long line of bad kings. Some were better than others, but all of them were deeply flawed. So our text this morning picks up at a place where Isaiah is now going to describe the ideal king, the ideal monarch right? The king that will be able to replace all the rest of these kings and the king that will be able to be perfect in all his ways and not sin and and cause others to sin because of the way they rule. Isaiah is saying through a child, the rightful king will take his place on the throne and be the king of kings and the lord of lords. Isaiah text, Isaiah in our text this morning really wants to say that when we depend on our own resources, on our own perspectives in our lives, it oftentimes, not oftentimes, it, it, it always leads to more confusion and more chaos. And this was the context here with King Ahaz. King Ahaz was the king of Israel at the time, right? King Ahaz did not heed the instructions of God. He did not, did, did not listen to the testimony of God, and that led Israel in these very sinful ways. And what this, led, what this ultimately led Israel to was, was to be invaded by the Assyrian Empire and basically, and basically be destroyed or held captive by them. That's, 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 that's what we're at in verse 1. Zebulon and Naphtali is the northern kingdom of Israel who were overtaken by the Assyrian Empire. But our text this morning, in light of the gloom and the stress that exists in Israel, 
in light of all of the darkness that exists in Israel, God gives Isaiah a prophetic insight. In the midst of all this darkness, what does he say? There will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, right? Isaiah's already talking about in the former times, he brought into the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. But in the latter time, he made glorious the way of the sea and the land of the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Galilee. Does that sound familiar to you, Galilee? Does that sound familiar to you? That's where Jesus launched his ministry, y'all. Isaiah's already pointing to that. He's pointing to it already. In the latter time, Jesus will redeem all that was broken, all that was sinful. And he points to Galilee. There will come a time, right, in the latter time where light will break into the darkness. Let's go to verse 2. It says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Now, it's very important here. When we talk about this great light, church, Israel did not produce this light. Israel is not responsible for this light. This light was produced by the one who was tired of seeing his people walk in darkness. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You know, you know what's very, 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 very wonderful about God? In the Bible, God's name is often equated with light. Right? So when, when, when Isaiah is talking about how God is going to shine a light in the darkness, what Isaiah is saying here is that our sin and rebellion cannot stop God from manifesting himself to us. Right? Our deeply flawed nature cannot disrupt God's plan for our life for ultimate redemption. Right? I'm going to say it one more time. Our sin and our rebellion cannot stop God from manifesting himself to us. Nothing can separate it. Now, it is true that God does expect us to turn away from our sin. But what Isaiah is pointing to here is that God will never leave you there for you to suffer. He will never leave you there in your sinful and dark condition so that you will suffer and not know a way out of the darkness. It is against his nature to do that. So because he's God, he says that if you turn away from your sin, if you turn around and go my way, there's grace, there's mercy, there's forgiveness, and there is redemption. God's nature says that I will not leave my children in the darkness. I hate the fact that they cannot see. <laughs> I hate the fact that they are so lost. I want them to be found so I will find them. And he lets us know in the time of Isaiah that there is coming a day where they will be found, ultimately found, right? Right? Let's go to verse 3. Go one up. We'll go one up, Brian. Thank you so much. That's it, baby. The people who walked in darkness, seen a great light, those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light is shown. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. 
They rejoice before you as with, with joy at the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil. You know what's interesting about this? The people here are rejoicing at the fact that in the future, God will bring this great light to earth. Isn't that interesting? Right? They have received great joy from a future revelation. Why is that? Why am I happy now when, 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 when in all likelihood I might not experience that great future light? Here it is, here it is, here it is, here it is. If God can promise me that in the future, if God is saying to me that he will not leave me in the darkness of my sin and distress and that ultimately one day in the future it will all go away. If God promised that in the future, I can also rest assured that he won't leave me right here, right now. That in my present circumstance, it is his nature to not forsake me now, and he won't forsake the future generations as well. So I can cling to the hope that God is a restorer and a redeemer, and if he's going to do it then, he can do it also right now. My temporary condition does not define my present outcome or circumstance. God redeems, God forgives, God heals now and also in the future. And I think, I think for us, church, we can also cling to the hope one day that in an eternal place, God, we, we will not have to deal with the brokenness and sinfulness of this world. And if we cling to that hope that allows us to live in that reality now, the same way Isaiah was telling Israel then that the kingdom of heaven will come near in the future, we can live into that right now. And the people were encouraged by this revelation that our future hope can ground our present hope that God is Emmanuel. God is with us. He's with us. Let's go to verse 4. Verse 4 says, this is about to get good, y'all. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of the oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle, Tomo and every garment rolled in blood would be burned as fuel for the fire. I love this right here. Wait, wait, wait until y'all see this. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of your person, you have broken on the day as men. So in Judges, right, Gideon defeats Midian, and it was an improbable victory, right? Like, like, like Gideon wasn't supposed to defeat Midian, so, 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 but, 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 but with God's power, he defeats the enemy, and Israel could, could, could continue on. So Isaiah is saying that just like a freedom fighter, Jesus in the future is going to set us free from our yokes. And, and, and watch this. The Assyrian emperors, right, the, the, the people who would invade Israel and take them captive, the Assyrian emperors would, would, would boast about the yokes that would, that, would, that would be upon those who they held captive. They would boast about it, right? But Isaiah says there's going to come a day in, in the future where the real king, the real monarch, not the Assyrians of this world, but the true king, Jesus, he's going to place a different yoke on you. Y'all know where I'm going. It's going to be a different yoke this time. 
Because, see, Isaiah in his prophetic insight can already see what Jesus is going to say in his ministry. Come unto me, all you who are weary, all you who are burdened down. Take my yoke upon you, and I will give you rest. It's a different yoke. That Assyrian yoke, he's going to shatter it. It's going to be gone. And the true king of king and lord of lord is going to put a different yoke upon you. What prophetic insight Isaiah has and that God gives Isaiah is that he can already see in the future how our Savior is going to replace these heavy yokes with his yoke. And the yoke that he gives us is the presence and power of almighty God. It's also worth pointing out here, right? Because at times, Israel, and I think sometimes us as well, we want Jesus to be this warrior, like with a, with a sword. I feel like sometimes in America, we want Jesus to have this machine gun sometimes. Like we want him to really defeat people, right? But see, that's not Jesus' agenda. Right? Because watch this. Jesus comes as a king that is humble, that is gentle, and transparent. And so here's, here's the scandal of the gospel, guys. The scandal of the gospel is that Jesus wants to turn his enemies into his friends. Right? The scandal is that Jesus looks at the Assyrian emperor and says, I want to save them too. They have a soul. They, are, they were created in my father's image, and they also deserve salvation. And see, we're honest with ourselves, right? The reason Jesus says that is because he also knows that we're enemies of God because of our sinful ways, because of our rebellion. In the same way that God can save us, God can also save our enemies. He can also save the Assyrian emperor. That's the scandal. And that's the kind of king that Jesus is. He's the kind of king that wants to turn his enemies into his friends, that wants to turn souls that are lost into souls that are found. That's who he is. That's who our Savior is. And that's who we're also called to be. So Jesus then reverses this notion of what a true king is, right? A true king, I'm getting ahead of myself again in the verse. A true king is one that rules righteously, justly, peacefully, and lovingly. Love. Love. A word that is lost on so many of the world's leaders. Here and abroad, love. And that marks the kingdom agenda of our Savior. Love. I'm going to love you into salvation, love you into wholeness, love you into transformation. That's the kingdom agenda. That's the kingdom agenda. All right. Let's get to verse 6. I, I, I got way too far ahead of myself because here it is. Isaiah now is about to make the announcement, right? He's about to announce who this child is. Who is this child? Who is this baby 
that's going to be born unto us. Here it is, here it is, here it is. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called what? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Let's go through all of them. Wonderful Counselor. What is a Wonderful Counselor? A Wonderful Counselor is someone who knows how to make wise decisions, and in this context, a wonderful counselor is someone who knows whose wisdom goes beyond human capabilities, right? Someone who can make wise decisions, wise counsel, and whose wisdom goes beyond human capabilities. This is why we turn to Jesus. This is why we stop and reset, because we need the wonderful counselor in our lives. We need the wonderful counselor to teach us and show us how to truly live. And his wisdom goes beyond all human capabilities. The wonderful counselor has the ability to save marriages. The wonderful counselor has the ability to reconcile relationships. The wonderful counselor has the ability to right the wrongs of your life and allow you to live fully and boldly into the destiny and purpose God has on your life. That's what the wonderful counselor can do for you. And that is why we turn to him. When you're lost and confused, turn to the one whose wisdom goes beyond anything we could ever ask or think. The wonderful counselor. Okay, okay, okay. I like that one. Mighty God. Oh, I like that one too. I like this one too. This, 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 this is a simple one. Mighty God. What is it? It is simply a title that we call Jesus. Very simple. But it's also deep, though. Can I tell you why it's deep? Here, here's why it's deep. The reason why this is important is because there's only one room for one mighty God in your life. There's only room for one. What does that mean? That means that you do not have any jurisdiction over your own life. You ain't got jurisdiction over it. Your wife, your husband, your parents, your kids, your job. There's only one person who runs your life, and that's mighty God, Jesus the Christ. Oftentimes, we like to pretend like we know what's best. Huh? Oftentimes, we like to pretend like the world and the world's capabilities and the world's decisions knows how to write our life story. And you know what? I, I, I give the world credit because, you know, I know who behind the world, Satan behind the world. I give the world credit. They can make it sound good. They can make it sound, be who you are. Live your best life. Oh, that sounds good. I want to live my best life. Hey, I, I love this right here. Catch a vibe. Catch a vibe. Don't y'all love that? It sounds good, don't it? But guess what? There's only one vibe. One ultimate divine vibe that can run your life. And that's mighty God. The only way you can live your best life is according to the creator's plan for you. Mighty God. It's on the roof of one. So mighty God simply is a title that we ascribe to Jesus. But it's deep. Because remember, single-minded allegiance. One. One God. And he's in a driver's seat, and we back here in the back. And God said, you better not be backseat driving either. Hey, God, make a left. What? God, stop playing. What? If I'm going to go, I'm going to go. 
If I turn left, I turn left. I don't need you to tell me nothing. I got this. This is my life that I gave to you. You have been gifted this life by me. So therefore, I will run it for you, and it will be for your ultimate good. You're good. Not mine, but yours. You're good. Okay, okay, I'm, I'm, okay. <laughs> Everlasting Father. Okay, this is this. This, this, this one's good, too. This one's good, too. Okay, here, here, here it is, here it is. So this one, huh, this one can be confusing because it's like, Jesus, you my daddy? Jesus, are you my daddy? It's like, nah, 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 nah. You already got one of them. So here's, here it is, here it is, here it is, here it is. Everlasting Father. So in the ancient Near Eastern context, right, father connotes a benevolent protector, right? Someone who not only provided for one's family, but also someone who protected their family, not necessarily only from, from invaders, but they protected their family from themselves. So, 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 so in, in essence, a, 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 an everlasting father, a benevolent father would look at their family and say, you know what? It is good for this household to give to our neighbor, even if we can't afford to give. We're going to still give, right? That's the benevolence. And, 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 and the family going to be yo, yo, pop, we ain't got nothing ourselves. How are we going to get to somebody else? I've gone to the father, the everlasting father, and he has directed me to give into somebody else, right? So the benevolent father protects the family from their own selfish and sinful ways so that they can live into who God has called not only them to be, but their whole family to be. Now, what, what, what does this mean? So Jesus, as everlasting father, he's now going to embody the values and traditions and also the morals of the true father as a king. So as a king, Jesus is going to be our benevolent protector, right? Again, this gets back to love. Love. What marks Jesus' kingship is his love for all of creation. And love at times means going against our own selfish desires. And, and Jesus demonstrates this, right? Because here's the thing. Jesus, I ain't going to say he didn't want to die, but he was like, I mean, if there's another way, let it be another way. But he comes around. Not my will, but what? Your will be done. Benevolence, right? A benevolent king, a benevolent protector. I will protect them even if it costs me. Even if it costs me. I will protect mine. Woo, I love Jesus. All right, here we go. One more, one more, one more. Prince of Peace. How about that? Prince of Peace. What is this? What is this? What is this? What is this? All right, this is, this, 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 this is, this is a good one, too. Prince of Peace. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to go context, and then I'm going to go macro. So in, this, so in the context, right, I, so people would have heard Isaiah saying this, and they people would have been like, wait, Prince of Peace? So you mean to tell me that the next person who's in line to become king, that's who we're talking about? So, so they were like, Hezekiah? It's going to be Hezekiah? He's going to be the child? Isaiah was like, nah, hold up. Nah, fam. It ain't Hezekiah. It ain't, it, 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 ain't, it, ain't, it ain't the next in line, 
right? The Prince of Peace connotes a cosmic peace. It connotes a, 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 the kind of peace that, that, that will bring ultimate satisfaction and ultimate joy that only the Savior and God can bring. That's the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace says that Jesus will rule justly and perfectly. And that, 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 that's, that's really it, guys. That's really it. It's saying that Jesus is the only one who can perfectly govern and rule his people. David couldn't do it. Ahaz couldn't do it. Only Jesus can be the true prince of peace. He's the only one because he's perfect and because he's God. Oh, yes. So, church, when we look at these four attributes that Isaiah gives us, I would encourage you during this Advent season, right, to, 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 to really reflect on what, we are, what we're waiting on upon Jesus' arrival, right? Because could you imagine being Israel, hearing this, being all like, ooh, I can't wait till he show up. I can't wait till he get here. I can't wait until the one that will save us arrives, right? Put yourself in that situation, and, and, and I want you to think that he's already here. You have a wonderful counselor. You have a mighty God, you have an everlasting father, and you have a prince of peace. One that governs justly and righteously, one that grants you access to God's presence, one that can rule your life as your mighty God. You have access to this child that was born. Thank God we ain't got to wait. Praise God that he has arrived. Scott, am I, am I spoiling the surprise at the end? Am I spoiling it? Thank you. Okay, good. I didn't want to spoil the surprise at the end. Because y'all know, know he already here. I don't know about, am, 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 am I breaking news? Am I breaking news? He's here. Emmanuel. God is with us. And what an amazing reality that a virgin birth child would be God with us. Us, a child born of human, of, of humanity, of both humanity and divination. He's here. He arrived. He did his thing when he was here too, boy. And guess what? He's still doing it. He's still saving, delivering, redeeming, forgiving, and transforming. He's still Jesus the Christ, the mighty God. Finally, verse 7. We out of here, guys. We out of, we out of here. Of the increase of his government and, and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So here it is. Here it is. Here it is. Here it is. This, this, this is what Isaiah is saying. Isaiah is saying this. He's saying that this is it. Jesus will be the last monarch. There will be no more kings after this one. Once he steps on the scene, that's it. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. No more, no one will follow up on him. He's the last of the line. 
This is it, which is why he said there will be no end. And I love that last line, right? The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. I love that word zeal. Can I tell you why? I love it because God would not stop until we were redeemed. He stopped at nothing to pursue us. He said that I am zealous for my people. I love my people. So therefore, I'm going to do everything within my power, everything I can do to save them. And that's what he did. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. He will do it because he, he saw fit to do it. He did not want to leave us in darkness, in, in misery, in confusion. He said, I want to save. And that's what he did. Let's go to God in prayer. As the worship team comes back up. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of that child. Thank you, God, for giving us everything that we possibly could ever need in the gift of Jesus Christ. God, we thank you. We give you glory. We give you honor. And Lord, we, we truly do pray that as we celebrate your arrival here, that we can truly embody everything that you have gifted to us, which is the power of your spirit. God, we thank you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.